0: From Law Hub, this is I Am The Law, a podcast where we talk with lawyers about their jobs to shed light on how they fit into the larger legal ecosystem. In this episode, Derek Tokaz interviews a franchise lawyer who's in-house at the popular burrito fast casual chain, Kudova, although he has since switched jobs. Support comes from Seton Hall University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey, where you can enroll full-time or in the Weekend JD program. In the heart of New Jersey, with proximity to New York City, Seton Hall is dedicated to your outcomes, evidenced by high employment and bar passage rates. Its one-student-at-a-time approach supports you throughout your time in law school. Their flexible, hybrid, weekend JD program allows working professionals to balance work, family, and law school. Learn more at law.shu.edu.
1: Support also comes from the University of Idaho College of Law and its two locations. The Moscow location has all the resources of the university's main campus, neighboring a picturesque, charming college town. The Boise location is in the heart of downtown, just blocks from the seat of government. Either Idaho Law location provides an abundance of outdoor opportunities. As the only law school in the state, Idaho Law provides near-exclusive access to the courts, the legislature, and the rapidly developing business and nonprofit communities.
2: We're joined today by Ryan Evans, a 2009 graduate from Boston University School of Law, where he also received his MBA. He's currently Assistant General Counsel at Qdoba Restaurant Corporation, a popular fast casual chain that serves Mexican-style food. So Ryan, you didn't start at Qdoba right away, but you also didn't follow the traditional law firm to corporate in-house route either. Hammer Enterprises is their first job out of law school, based in Boston, and franchises Wendy's, Panera, Holiday Inn Express, and others. Can you explain, just to get things started, what a franchise is?
3: A franchise really is just simply a a proven model uh, of a way of doing things that a company then lets other people use for, for a small fee. So, for example, with Qdoba, we have a way of obviously making food, but also our brand, the colors that you see in the restaurant, the way we do things. We've sort of perfected, if you will, that system. And then what we do is we go to small business owners, regular mom and pops, and to larger companies. And we say, hey, look, we've got this proven model, a way of doing things that has worked. And we're going to let you basically take our playbook and copy it and use it elsewhere.
2: Can you explain what Hamra Enterprises was and how they were operating?
3: Hamra Enterprises was a franchisee that started out with the Wendy's group and then branched out into Panera Bread and then uh, branched out a bit more and did some other concepts as well. Essentially, they were a company, a franchisee company. And essentially, they just ran restaurants and and hotels according to the franchise model.
2: Can you describe a bit of what you did at Hamra?
3: Because it was a relatively small company. Now, from a franchisee perspective, it was pretty big, but we had only two attorneys in-house. Many franchisee Groups don't have any attorneys in house because they're not big enough. So we were sort of on the larger end there. My responsibilities there sort of covered the gamut of any small to mid-sized business. I would deal with uh, with a lot of lease issues with our locations. We also started getting into building and developing some of our own sites. So there's a lot of entitlement and development issues and working with the cities on uh, on different things. Also worked a lot with franchise issues, um, working with the franchise documents and with the franchisor. Wendy's and Panera were the two big ones in that case. Also worked a lot with sort of HR issues, contracts. It was a good place to start because it was a very general background. I got to kind of ha- have my hand in a lot of different uh, different things and see what I liked and what I didn't care for so much.
2: They were operating in I think it was seven or eight states at the time.
3: Yes, and so we had four or five different concepts, and so they were a fairly large large company at that point, running multiple franchise entities.
2: Okay. I had never heard before that this is a way of doing franchises. I had always just had sort of that mom-and-pop model in my head and hadn't considered that you would have companies running multiple things like this.
3: Yeah, it can get, it can get pretty large, uh, depending on the concept. McDonald's will have some groups that are larger. With Qdoba, you know, some of our franchisees will own upwards of 50 locations, and others will have one or two.
2: So you were at Hamra for about three years, and then moved to California and started your own firm. Is that right?
3: I grew up in Southern California. The plan was always to sort of end up back in the in the West area at some point, and uh, and that just felt like a good time to do it. So I always wanted to kind of get back into in house. I prefer that environment and the uh, the work life balance there. But uh, but in in the interim, I did a couple of small solo projects.
2: The solo work was mostly just a stopgap before being able to get another in-house position?
3: Yeah, I, I moved uh, back to California in 2000, late 2012, uh, which wasn't exactly the best environment for mm-hmm. trying to secure a new job, especially when you've, you've been across the country for, for a number of years. So that was sort of just sort of a way to bridge the gap until I found something that was kind of in-house and, and something I wanted to do more on a long-term basis. So
2: how did you get to that next in-house position?
3: I am a firm believer in networking and where that gets you. Uh, That being said, I have never found a job via networking. Uh, I've always found it the traditional route of of just applications. So I had been kind of keeping my ears open uh, on things. And I heard that uh, that Jack in the Box, uh, based in San Diego, was looking for a franchise attorney. I applied there and... What I found out afterwards is that they were looking for a franchise attorney who had experience, but not too much experience. And the way I took that was someone they could afford <laughs> that wasn't too mm-hmm. expensive and it had been out for too long. And I was the only one who had some significant franchise law experience, but yet hadn't uh, had been practicing for so long that I commanded a salary that was too much for them. Again, I'm I'm a firm believer in networking. I'm also a firm believer that that you make your own luck, but a lot of times you you need luck as well. And this was a situation where because I had been lucky and gotten the job with Hammer straight out of law school, I was fortunate enough to have almost three years of franchise experience under my belt already, uh, even though I had not been practicing that long.
2: With Jack of the Box, you're now on the other side of the franchise transaction. Correct. You're no longer the franchisee. You're the franchisor, correct. Can you talk a bit about how that changes the nature of the work you're doing?
3: In one sense, it changed because I was sort of doing all the documents, drafting all the documents that I had been reviewing on the other end as a, as a franchisee attorney. And one of those is a, a pretty thick document called the franchise disclosure document. And as a as a quick primer, so every company that wants to franchise their system or or sort of sell their system to franchisees has to put together this big document called a Franchise Disclosure Document, or FDD, people call it. It's a big... Sort of like a prospectus if you invest in in companies. It basically says everything that a a potential franchisee can expect to pay to do uh, everything else as part of the franchise process. And so it's designed for franchisors to give this information to franchisees so the franchisees can read it and understand what's expected of them before they go ahead and make an investment. It's a way to protect the, the franchisees from spending their money and then not getting what they thought, or or kind of falling into a, a business trap. And so, on the franchisee side, I had been reviewing those documents that had come from Panera and from Wendy's, and then on the other side, I was the one preparing that document. So that was quite a quite a change to to kind of see it from the other side. On the other end of it, however, I think it was really good that I had that franchisee experience because at Jack in the Box, on the franchisor side, I had that lens of knowing what it was like on, on the other side. And for lack of a better term, usually franchisors are sort of the big companies and the franchisees are, are the little guys. And So it was nice to to have the perspective of the little guy. And at, at Jack in the Box, and this is the same at, at, at Qdoba, you can imagine where the relationship might become adversarial at times. The franchisor wants to do something the franchisee thinks a different way just because of differences in perspective. And we really took the approach that we're business partners and so we want to work together. And really, if the franchisees do well, then the franchisors do well and vice versa. And so it was great to have that perspective of having been on the other side as I was engaging in negotiations and, and talks and discussing strategy and that sort of thing.
0: Support comes from Vermont Law and Graduate School. Vermont Law and Graduate School empowers students to dream big. It welcomes and shares passions for social justice, the environment, criminal justice reform, and so much more. At BLGS, realism and idealism collide. Together, students and faculty positively transform the world around them. From an accelerated two-year JD to an online hybrid JD, BLGS offers innovative programs where you can learn at your own pace. To learn more, please visit vermontlaw.edu.
1: Support also comes from Albany Law School. Albany Law School is committed to increasing access to the legal profession. Albany Law's online FlexJD delivers all the benefits you'd expect from an institution that's been educating future lawyers and leaders since 1851. With one in-person session per year, you'll complete most of your work online, giving you the flexibility you need to earn your law degree when and where it works for you. To find out how you can begin your journey to earning a JD, visit albanylaw.edu today.
0: Support also comes from Baylor Law School, the smallest and oldest law school in Texas. Baylor Law has three entering classes, 15 tracks of study, strong bar passage and employment rates, robust scholarship offerings, numerous clinics and joint degree programs, and a focus on preparing excellent and ethical lawyers. Visit the Baylor Law website to learn more and to apply for free to the spring, summer, and or fall entering classes.
2: So if we fast forward to 2018, this had been about four and a half years uh, working with Jack in the Box, and Jack in the Box at the time also owned Codoba. What happened then so that now you are just at Cadoba?
3: I'll back up a little bit. Jack in the Box, and and most people listening to this podcast probably recognize the name, although it's it's more familiar in sort of the western part of the country and, and, and the south. But it's a, a fast food hamburger chain. They acquired Qdoba in the early 2000s. And Qdoba had started in in Denver, which uh, coincidentally enough was also the birthplace of Chipotle, who was Qdoba's main competitor. So both these concepts were kind of in, started in Denver. Jack in the Box acquired Qdoba and for the most part, left him alone for 15 or so years. And so at some point, Jack in the Box decided, "Hey, it's probably better not to have two separate legal departments and accounting departments and marketing departments," and so they consolidated and moved Qdoba down to San Diego, where Jack in the Box is headquartered. My entire time at Jack in the Box, I was actually working both on Jack in the Box matters and Qdoba matters, so I had familiarity. And then when Qdoba moved down into San Diego, I got a chance to sort of interact more on a personal level with with people that I had previously dealt with uh, on the phone or via email, and it was uh, it was uh, it was great, but Qdoba quickly became a sort of an acquisition target. And Jack in the Box decided to sell Qdoba off in 2018. And they were sold to a private equity company. And so, as part of that transition, uh, there's a lot of people that kind of work on both brands that obviously, you know, once you move from two companies down to one, you don't need quite as many people. And Qdoba came to me and uh, and recruited me and, and asked if I wanted to come over and and work for them. And it was a situation that was a, it was a good opportunity and have been working there since then.
2: So you, you said at Hamra, it was, if, if I recall, uh, just you and one other attorney. So what's the situation like with Cadoba? sort of the size of the office, the legal department there?
3: It, it's interesting. I've sort of come full circle. So at Hamra, we were we were a group of two and we did a lot of different things. And we were expected to manage the large workflow. At Jack in the Box, we were uh, seven attorneys when I was there. It was a much larger public company. And then if uh, for those who don't know much about private equity, more or less, uh, you've seen these, uh, these shows on, on cable about flipping homes. Private equity companies, for lack of a better term, sort of flip businesses. So they'll acquire a business that they think has some potential value that isn't being met and they will take it over and then try to improve upon it and drive the value up. And then at some point, usually they, they sell it off. Uh, that's the case with us. Uh, and so as part of that strategy, they try to keep costs down. So we're back to just two attorneys at Kidoba, which is both uh, at times a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time, very, uh, very fulfilling from a professional standpoint, because there's so much work to do and so much I get to kind of put my hands into because there are only two attorneys.
2: So to put that in context, about how big is kidoba How many locations are there nationally?
3: So we have approximately 750 locations throughout the the United States and Canada, and approximately 50% of those are corporate locations that Qdoba owns and runs ourselves, and approximately 50% of those are franchise locations.
2: I would assume a lot of the work that you're doing is not necessarily going to be that franchise-specific work. So what's different between the work you're doing with the corporate locations and what you would do with the franchisees?
3: So the franchisees are they're they're their own business. They run the Qdoba system, and they use our name and our our logo and our uh, recipes and that sort of thing. But they are their own standalone business. They are required to sort of do things uh, on their own for the most part. And so with corporate locations, we deal a lot more with uh, issues, for example, involving employees and HR. Leases, for example, that that we lease for our own corporate locations. For a franchise location, we don't get involved at all in their their employees, what they pay them, any issues that might come up. Uh, We don't get involved for the most part in the leases that they negotiate with their landlords or the contracts that they sign with vendors. So it's really... Corporate locations, we get a lot more into the nuts and bolts and the day-to-day stuff. With franchisees, it's really more the initial franchise agreements, the document, the kind, of, the kind of contract between us. And from that point on, it's, it's a lot more just monitoring things.
2: So I know a big issue with the franchisee relationships is maintaining consistency. How involved are you with that?
3: We set certain standards and we require franchisees to meet those standards, but we don't really regulate how they meet those standards. For example, we might require that burritos are of a certain size and contain certain ingredients and that sort of thing. What we don't require is how many employees to make that burrito. To us, that's more of the process. We focus more on sort of the end goal and not how franchisees get there. We have what's called a franchise business consultant, which is a Qdoba employee that travels around to different franchise locations and just sort of checks in and provides advice where needed. They sort of monitor things. Uh, where I become involved on the franchise side is if a franchisee is not meeting those standards. And then it's uh, it's up to me, along with a group of other business folk here, to kind of determine, okay, why are they not meeting it? You know, what do we want to do? Obviously, if a franchisee is not meeting certain standards for a period of time, then they could be in default of their agreement, which uh, as a last case scenario means we can terminate the relationship. So I usually get involved at the end when things have been going on for a little bit and it's time to kind of Evaluate what uh, what actions we want to take, but we do do have other people that monitor the relationship uh, along the way.
2: So it sounds like your work involves a lot of paperwork and contracts and you know other legalese documents. And can you talk a bit about how much of a role you have in drafting those versus documents that uh, companies have had when. You came in and you're able to recycle documents or able to rely a lot on boilerplate versus having to craft a lot of new legal documents yourself.
3: So I'm a big fan of efficiency, and so I don't recreate the wheel when I don't need to. When I came to Jack, there were some you know existing documents that they used for not only franchisees but for leases and some other stuff like that. So I prefer to kind of come in and tweak as needed, and I will also set up with myself internally along with uh, business partners a periodic review of things so that we can check in and say, okay, what's working with this document? Uh, what's come up in the past year, for example, that we need to to update and and add in, and and so I usually start out with some form of of template and then tweak it from there. So. I usually won't just pull something either from a source or or from the internet and, and use that without modification of some sort.
2: You had mentioned the franchise disclosure document being a pretty pretty significant document for you. Is that something that you would have to have with every new franchisee? Or is that just when the company wants to begin franchising?
3: When a company begins franchising, they need the FDD every year. And then that's provided to any Potential franchisee who's expressed some interest in in joining that franchise. The FDD itself, it's a document that's regulated by the Federal Trade Commission, and so the format of it is uh, is pretty uniform. And so my role in doing that is one of determining, along with our outside counsel, you know, what information that we need to provide, and the goal there is always to provide enough information that would be material to a franchisee when they're deciding whether to, to join on with us. And so our approach is that we always want to provide enough information that a franchisee is eyes wide open. Uh, for us, this is the first step of the franchise relationship. So it doesn't do anyone any good if we don't disclose something. Uh, the franchisee feels that we don't disclose something that's, that's important. And then we start off on the wrong foot. So we always try to look every year at what information we think would be relevant for a franchisee and make sure that we provide that. We also determine the updates that need to take place. For example, our restaurant count changes every year. Uh, We've been on a general trend of growth over the last few years. So obviously, we need to update the number of our restaurants and kind of the makeup of our management team and that sort of thing. So it's a fairly involved process. It it takes up most of my time between September and, and January of every year. It usually runs about 500 pages or so.
2: Okay. Yeah, five hundred pages is I, that's a a Game of Thrones novel of of work to put together.
3: Yes, and to be fair, some of that is financials and some other stuff that I don't I don't prepare. But it's a it's a pretty lengthy document.
2: You had mentioned that about half the QDoba locations are corporate owned, which I would imagine means you have a lot of work to do with real
3: estate. Yes. Yes. I handle all the real estate for the company, all the legal transactions. That means I'm involved with drafting and negotiating the leases, uh, any amendments that come up, as well as any issues. We have, for example, some some ancillary agreements with some locations with uh, with signage we might want to get on or some other things. So yes, I'm involved with with all that, which I love real estate. I think that that's uh, probably my favorite area of law. For me, it's a pleasurable endeavor, but there, it definitely gets, a, gets to be a lot sometimes.
2: If you're dealing with more than 300 locations, and I assume most of those would have different landlords. How do you keep track of those many individual local issues?
3: We use technology. So we have a, a database to, that we use that will track the locations and where they're, where they're at and uh, some least specific documents there. We also utilize outside counsel where we need to to identify local issues and, and help us out on, on there. And then a lot of it is is simply that the general approach works for most locations. It does require some tweaks in some different areas. Generally speaking, we can do the same thing in, in all locations. Just and just makes some minor revisions where needed.
2: So, moving from those routine issues that you're dealing with, how often do you have to deal with a crisis or a new issue that's not something that you're expecting, or does it come up very often? One thing that occasionally happens to restaurants is a food recall issue, or You know, occasionally we have an E. coli outbreak somewhere. How involved are you in the response to those issues?
3: We have a a response committee for different types of issues. Uh, We have a pretty robust food safety department as well, which we sort of inherited from Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box had a pretty severe food safety crisis in the early 90s that was, uh, was ingrained in their culture. And so they took food safety very seriously. And, and that's was part of Qdoba's culture when we were part of Jack in the Box and has transitioned over. So there there are things that come up. Luckily, we haven't had any direct issues on the food safety front, but there are product recalls. A lot of listeners would probably be interested to hear about how different things in different parts of the world can can affect prices and availability of of food. For example, we had an issue, I believe it was in 2019 where there was a, a farmer strike in one area of Mexico. And that's where we sourced a lot of our avocados. And so uh, it affected prices, not only for us, but for a lot of our competitors as well, because a couple of farmers in Mexico decided to strike and it, it had a ripple effect. So we have a team that kind of addressed those issues as they come up. And that involves food safety and operations and supply chain and legal, as well as our CEO in, in many cases. And so we kind of take those as they come. Those are relatively few and far between. And for the most part, Although they're unexpected they're along the normal lines of kind of what we've seen before, but every once in a while you have something for example the CoVID 19 crisis you know that's something that uh, that was pretty much unforeseen and unprecedented in the, in the restaurant industry and so a lot of restaurants have been hit hard and we've had to quickly adapt to having many of our locations either shut down or uh, restricted in terms of how and where we can serve our customers and so that's been a, a real interesting Challenge to to tackle. I'm uh, happy to say that I'm I'm proud of kind of how we've how nimble we've been. Our CEO often talks about how we are a, a large multi-unit startup, and so our our mindset and our culture is one of innovation, agility, and and trying to tackle problems quickly. Yeah, I've been impressed with how we've dealt with it, and it's a collective effort that involves everyone. You know, we've we've had a lot of conversations and late nights and weekends in collaboration, talking about how do we get restaurants back up and running? How do we address getting people back to work? You know, how do we evaluate the changing landscape and what customers want moving forward? This current time has definitely been one of the biggest challenges that we face and I face in my career, but uh, but it's been very, very educational.
2: So how involved have you been with complying with the multitude of local and state ordinances that we've had now in response to COVID-19? With... You know, more than 300 corporate locations, just a huge number of different sets of rules going on for everybody.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been a very uh, very complicated um, and tough to kind of stay abreast. Uh, not only are there different state regulations, but uh, there are different city or county ordinances in some cases. Here in California, for example, there you know, there's some ordinances, especially early on in the crisis, where uh, Los Angeles County. Would have one set of circumstances in San Diego County. Would have a completely separate set, and so we'd have to sort of adjust. I've been pretty involved in that, especially from the from the real estate side, and kind of evaluating, you know, if uh, if we've been shut down at a location or restricted, how does that affect our lease and our rights? And are there any provisions in the lease, for example, that might trigger different uh, rent obligations or you know things that we can try to do to make up for being closed? Uh, many of our the markets that we're in, some some of those markets will be uh, what we call mixed markets. So we'll have both company locations and franchise locations. Uh, and others are strictly company or strictly mixed. So you may have an example where we have a state where we only have franchisees there. So we're not dealing with the effects from a corporate side, but we're definitely monitoring them. And it's definitely been, been a lot to to try to take in. And we've relied a fair amount on outside counsel uh, to try to help us out through this because there's just simply not the bandwidth internally for us to, to monitor every single little thing that's going on.
2: And so when you have a national issue like this, would that be something where you would be working more with the franchisees?
3: We think that we work with them pretty strongly anyway. In my experience, we have a pretty strong uh, relationship with our franchisees and we have a, there's a franchisee council that they elect. Some franchisees to sort of serve as their, their advisory board. And we have a very good working relationship with them. But yeah, we've been in very, very close contact with our franchisees. We see ourselves more as as partners than anything. So we've had to navigate, uh, I won't say together, but we've had to, QDOBA corporate, we've had to sort of make many of our decisions with our franchisees in mind and, and how it will affect them or how we can put them in the best position. For example, as part of the, of the traditional franchise process, a franchisee will pay an initial fee to get the systems and then they pay a percentage usually of their sales on an ongoing basis. And obviously, when COVID happened and sales were impacted, it was a situation where many franchisees were were not getting as much in sales. And we made the decision to forbear from collecting any of those fees for a period of time to kind of weather this crisis.
2: Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of that going around. As awful as the situation is, a lot of being able to use it as a learning opportunity to figure out how certain parts of companies or business relationships can work better.
3: Yeah, and it's the case with many adversity situations. Unfortunately, you know, we've seen already a lot of businesses have already declared bankruptcy. A lot of the smaller businesses probably won't come back from this, uh, which is very sad. But those companies that do survive, I think, would be much, much stronger for having done so.
0: I Am The Law is a Law Hub production. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this show in your favorite podcast app. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Blueprint LSAT Test Prep. Thank you also to our other sponsors, LSAT Lab, Seton Hall University School of Law, Vermont Law and Graduate School, and Baylor Law.